welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, June 27th, we're studying Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. In today's text, John sees the new heaven and the new earth, and he hears the blessed news that God will dwell with his people there eternally. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this returning guest, Pastor Andrew Belt. Pastor Belt serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be here today. Get the privilege of talking about Revelation 21 today, Pastor Belt. Before we look at that text specifically, talk to us a little bit about the book of Revelation. How do we need to approach this book as Christians? You know, I, as those first Christians who would have heard the book of Revelation, on our day and age, it's it's always seen as a book of fear. I know I've uh, a few Easter's ago I preached on the lectionary as I went through Revelation, and and as I did, I had a couple people came up to me and they they said, you know, I always thought of Revelation as a, a book I should be scared of, uh, and terrified of, and you know all the images and the you know the the monstrous images we get of certain characters in, in the book of Revelation, and and as you go work your way through it, you begin to see, no, no, Paul, John didn't write this to scare Christians into good behavior or or scare them, put little Christians to bed at night and terrify them, um, right? He gave this so that Christians might have hope and joy and look forward to the victory that is already theirs in Christ. And he kind of like, you know, he tears apart the veil a bit so we can kind of glimpse and see, here's how things are, right? The, yeah, here's the terror that's happening on the earth, but here's when heaven, Christ is on the throne, all is well. And uh, so the book of Revelation, as we approach it, is a book of comfort and joy as I get into it, I always see the images of worship are happening all over the place. And, and so I find great comfort as we even go in our hymn, like this is the feast. Uh, when we sing that in church in the divine service, right? You can't but help hear the undertones of revelation in a lot of our worship too. And, and so there's a great comfort there for Christians. And uh, it, it points us all to Christ and his victory for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that becomes very plain, especially in these last two chapters of yeah. the book. So we get the, the first part of chapter 21. I think this one shows up in the lectionary in that year yeah. it's in, in Easter. So a little bit more familiar territory in the book of Revelation. Talk to us a bit about context. What do we need to, to yeah. know as we prepare to look at this text and really the last two chapters? What's the context that we need to know to, to understand this text? Well, you know, this is pretty much the, the great climactic vision. You know, John has been it's, I always kind of picture John being led by the arm almost from one image to the next, and at times he's just being overwhelmed with what he's seeing, right? And you know, as, as you read, he's almost kind of like looking around him, writing down as fast as he can to what he's seeing, what he's hearing. Uh, sometimes it's to be told, no, 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 don't write that. You have to seal that. Uh, but here, you know, he, he's been led through all these visions, and right before our text today, um, he's, you know, it's the image of the final judgment. Christ returns. He deals with the devil. He deals with the false prophet. Um, he deals with death itself, right? It's all thrown into the lake of fire, burning sulfur. And so now as we kind of, we kind of the, the clouds clear, as, as it were. And uh, what, what's presented to us in our text today is now that the final judgment is passed, Christ is going to usher in, consummate 
the new creation, right? And this is, this is what we've been longing for. This is what John and all of us, this is the Christians throughout all ages, come Lord Jesus, come, right? That's kind of building to that final prayer at the very end of the book. Um, but it's, it's that joy that we're going to have today in the text of this new creation. And as we'll find out who's in it, uh, who is kept out of it at the very end of the text today, um, and what hope now we have as people who have been clothed by Christ. Uh, and so today we get to this, the final vision, as it were. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the creed, we're in that last line of the, the creed now in the Nicene Creed. This is the life of the world to come that we're going to yeah. be looking at, or the, the life everlasting in the Apostles' Creed. Right. That's what we're, we're starting to see here in Revelation 21, these first eight verses. So let's take a look at this text. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. So the text starts, John sees a new heaven, new earth. Talk to us about mm. those, those terms, new heaven, new earth. You know, and there's, a, there's always a lot of scholarship on what exactly does this mean with a new heaven and, and new earth? Uh, does it mean that something completely new, like this present one is destroyed, wiped out, annihilated, and then there's new? Or is it an idea that everything is renewed? Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of scholarship that argues about this and what exactly is being meant by that. And one of the things that kind of sticks out to me is something that happens in John's gospel. Um, John chapter 9, it's the man who's born blind. And, you know, kind of bringing up the image there, right? The disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind. And Jesus goes, let's do the work of God on him and, and heals him. And then there begins a debate, um, not unlike this with the new heavens and new earth. And there's people that look at the blind man and say, well, wait a minute. Isn't this the same guy that was blind? And others like, no, no, it's not. But it's kind of like him. And I love the man in the text because these people are kind of arguing about him while he's there. And he says to the, both of them, yes, um, he truly is that guy who was sitting there blind for all these years. And he is also a different guy. Uh, so when we look at the new heavens and the new earth, is this a completely brand spanking new heavens and earth? Yes. Is it also the same one that's being renewed and glorified? Yes. Uh, you know, you can think of the body of Jesus, right? Jesus' body is glorified when we talk about the resurrection of the body. 
right? We're talking about not just a being brought back into an old order of things. We're talking about a completely brand new, but also this is the same body. Uh, or as Paul would say, the kernel, right? The kernel that's put into the ground and a, something new comes out. It's from the kernel, but it is something also new. So when we're looking at this and, and John here sees the, a new heaven and a new earth, because way back in, in, well, not way back, but chapter 20, verses 11 there, we're told that uh, when the Lord appeared, that heaven and earth fled away from his presence. Uh, and so here is, here's a new one that's been made. And it's both, yes, a new, renewed creation, but also completely, right? It's, it's something that the old order of things is just gone, as we'll hear about here in a few verses. Um, but yeah, so when we look at this text, you know, the good Lutheran answer is always the, the both and. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the reference that you made to, to 1 Corinthians 15 is helpful. And the way that Paul talks about the resurrection body, that the this mortal body must put on immortality, this perishable body must put on imperishability, will be, tra- mm. will be changed, will be transformed. I think those are the, the ways to think about this. Yeah. So there is, there is both, let me say it this way, there is both discontinuity, yeah. because mortality is gone, and in its place is immortality, but there's also continuity. It is this this creation that is putting on or is being given this new nature, one that's right. not corrupted by sin and all of its effects. Thanks be to God. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and again, I think also your reference to the body of Jesus as the, you know, we know that Christ is the first fruits of the yeah. resurrection of the dead. And so at least in, in some sense, we should expect that what we see in his resurrection body will be the reality into which we will be brought in the resurrection and indeed all of creation. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's just a, you know, we're referencing Jesus and his resurrection. And we've talked about, you know, in the creed, we're, we really come through the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. But maybe just talk a little bit more about the reality that we're seeing here, that it's it's all creation. It's not just us, but that all creation is brought through in this resurrection reality. Talk about that and why that's a, a significant thing, because I think sometimes we forget the new creation aspect, and we think only about—it's not bad that we think about our own resurrection, but right. but why is it important that we keep it in the context of the whole new creation here? Yeah, everything gets brought in with Christ, right? Uh, he is the one who's made the heavens and the earth, and he's not content with letting it all just fizzle out and die. Um, he has the goal of renewing all things. Uh, and, you know, some of the images, we see this already in Isaiah chapter 65, Behold, I make a new heavens and a new earth. Um, Peter would tell us, right, the new heavens and the new earth is where righteousness will dwell. Um, Paul in Romans 8 tells us that this whole creation is, is groaning, you know, using that same language of Jesus, like in childbirth. And it's waiting to give birth. It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Uh, and when the sons of God are, the, the curse is removed. And the creation, it's able to function as the creation desires. Um, God loves his world. You know, I, I recently I was, you know, I was talking to someone about this very thing. And, you know, oftentimes when we tell the story of our faith, we always get to the, then we die and go to heaven. And it's, we always kind of end the story there. Uh, and if sometimes we get to the resurrection of the body, but that's even an afterthought too. Um, but the story keeps going, right? It's not like turn the page because there's even more to say. Uh, what we're longing for here is this well, Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth. And the Lord Jesus is going to remake and refashion those incorruptible to be just like his glorious body. Um, and what a home, right? That, and that's going to be our home. And, and we're waiting for that. We're waiting for our Savior to come. 
And you know, I, and I tell like new members when I go through class, and I, I point out my window and I say, you see all that out there? Jesus is going to remake this and he's going to live here with us. And, and what a great hope, because all of a sudden that transforms everything that we see about our body and our life now. We, we don't have a pie in the sky, like we just got to get out of here. Um, right? We see that this is the final hope that God will come down and dwell here, which is right where our text is going to go today. Um, that this is the, the final home that we will dwell with Christ, with God, forever and ever. And uh, it's the eternal vacation, right? Resting with God in a, a renewed heavens and a renewed earth. And it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, I mean, and just this is maybe a, a slight, not too much of a tangent, and something I think that we'll d- dig into a little bit more as we go through the rest of this book. But the when we think about our eternity, we should picture a physical reality. Yeah. Is part. I mean, I think there's just this common image, and I'm not sure how far back it goes. But when you, so many people, I think Christians included, when they picture eternity, they think about floating on clouds, and that's just not the picture that the scriptures no. give us. We are yeah. we're talking about a physical reality here. Yeah, we are flesh. You know, we're spirit and life and bodies, right? It's uh, that's who we are. So we this body is also being renewed and reju- rejuvenated with the whole creation with it. And uh, recently I read uh, a good book, uh, wonderfully made by John Kleinig there. Mm. And uh, he talks in there too how, you know, every, every time that God presents himself in the scriptures, it's always physically. Um, you know, we can't experience God without our body. And, and yeah. God uses the whole creation to kind of bring this in, into himself. And we, what better way to illustrate that than the incarnation of our Lord Jesus? It's, you know, yeah. it's in spades there. Uh, yeah. so we, see, we see the value of our creation. That's right. So again, something to to keep in mind as we read this last part of Revelation, and as we think about what that means for our eternity, this is a physical reality, one that is perfect, and as as we will hear, is is entirely free from sin and its effects. And and as you pointed out in the introduction, you think about where we've been, all of the enemies of the Church have been dealt with up to this point. I mean, the, the beast is gone, the false prophet is gone, the dragon is gone, death and Hades are in the lake of fire, absolutely anything that can harm the Church is gone. And now the physical reality of that is being made manifest in these last chapters. And, and there's going to be things as we read them that's like, wow, I don't know exactly how to picture that. It's probably going to be better than even what I'm picturing. Right. So this is just the introduction here with the new heaven and the new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away. Again, I think the right way to take that is, as you're saying, this is a transformation, the, the old putting on the new, the mortal putting on immortality. God is doing this. But, and this is maybe, well, the sea is no more. So what did the sea do? Why, why isn't there a sea? <laughs> Got God angry, right? Uh, yeah, what happened here? <laughs> well, when I was think uh, being out in a boat, I remember uh, my honeymoon. I was going across, we're going to Isle Royal, across Lake Superior there. And at one point, uh, the operator in the boat, you know, he kind of turned on the, uh, the monitor and he's like, All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're now uh, standing over the deepest point in Lake Superior. And my <laughs> thought was, don't tell me that. Uh, I don't want to hear that. And it, that, so that image of the sea is no more, right? It carries with it that fear. Um, how many times in the Bible do we have catastrophes happening at sea? Jonah, the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, Paul in Acts 27 as he's going over to Rome, right? Uh, the sea is a place of terror. In this book of Psalms, right, there's often God is wrestling with Leviathan and Rahab out in the waters, and he stills it to make the calm and the peace, right? Um, and so here, when we look at this text, uh, we should understand the sea is this place of terror, of uh, judgment, of death. 
uh, Sheol, as Jonah says, as he floats down to the bottom. And uh, so here, to, here the sea is no more. Um, one, it means it's a place no longer of terror. It's a place no longer of wrath and chaos. It's a place that, well, God has dealt with and he's brought in peace. It's, it's Jesus standing up and saying, be quiet, be still. And whoosh, there's a great calm and peace, right? The, the sea is no more because it's no longer tossing and turning. Uh, there's a, as you put it, right, the enemies of the church have been dealt with. And now we get to experience the full joy and restoration of the creation. So we should see it in that light and not like God dries up the oceans and, and now there's just great valleys now and, or leveled uh, fields there. Um, it's a place of tranquility now and not uh, hostility. Yeah, okay, so the, the sea is no more in the sense of the danger of the sea is, yeah. is gone. Not, again, this is where, I, so we probably shouldn't be picturing eternity without any water or any <laughs> bodies of water, yeah. but rather that the, the bodies of water that are there, I, I think this is right, are, are places that are not dangerous. Right. And even to the effect, and I'd have to look to be exact, I think the last place in the book of Revelation we heard about the sea was in, in Revelation 15, John sees what appears to be a sea of glass, mm. and at that point it's mingled with fire. And we talked about how the, the sea of glass mingled with fire probably is a reminder that as we go through this this life, there is fire, there is the tribulation. Yeah. But it is a sea of glass because the Lord has, you know, made it peace, right? He said, peace be still, and so he's, he's conquered it. But by here, and again, I think the difference is what we've seen in the last chapters, here the enemies of the church are completely gone, and there's absolutely no threat to the effect that John sees that as the sea being no more. There's there's absolutely nothing that's going to harm the people of God here. That God has won the victory completely. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah, we we've talked about this elsewhere and I I made this this point recently in a in a Bible study here that when the Lord defeats his enemies, he doesn't leave any threat that's hmm. going to to somehow reach out and get us at just the last second. There's not going right. to be that one wave that he missed and it's going to overwhelm the boat or something like that. And I, I think I think that's a good idea here with the sea being no more. It's not that the water is somehow a bad part of creation, but the Lord has taken away every terror that would would possibly get us. It's all gone. There's nothing but peace anymore. And you see that in other parts of the scripture too. How often does God use water to give his salvation, whether it's Noah and the ark or the people going through the dry ground through the sea, um, the waters of our baptism. Uh, you know, it's just how God uses this to bring out and, and save his people. And, uh, and you can kind of see it in that context and light as well. Yeah, yeah. So the new heaven and new earth, John sees, without any threat from the sea. And then in verse 2, he also sees the holy city, New Jerusalem. Talk to us about just the, the holy city, New Jerusalem here. What, what's going on? Yeah. You know, one of the images that, as I was preparing, as you read through this, one thing that caught me this time around is uh, it's, she's coming down out of heaven. And one, we got to understand, well, who, what is this? Who is this? And Jerusalem is always kind of the, you know, the, it's kind of like when we say the White House issued a statement today. Um, this is getting at, well, who's in the White House? The president, the staff, and all that. And Jerusalem also represents the people, the people of God. That's where the people of God gathered because the temple was there. And that's where the people gathered to receive the gifts of their God from the Old Testament. God promised to be there for his people. Uh, they could count on that because he has promised. 
And so when we see Jerusalem here, we're talking about the people of God. Um, and who are they? They are holy. Uh, they are new, uh, new heavens and a new earth, new people, right? We would be made new and, uh, and holy, made holy, right? Uh, the images here that we're going to get prepared and adorned, right, brings us way back to Revelation 7 when we're told that the, the uncountless number of people were standing before the throne and the Lamb with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and right, they're made holy, and uh, made holy so by God. And this is the church, right? So when we hear New Jerusalem, we need to hear the people of God, the church, the bride. In fact, that's exactly how she's described here as a bride adorned for her husband. And right back in, I think it was a chapter 19, we're told that she was given this garment to put on her, the bride, um, to be prepared for the wedding feast. And here, right, the wedding, this is the, you know, this is the text we should use when the bride, the doors of the church open and the bride comes down the aisle. This, I always think of Revelation 21 in that moment because here's the, here's the bride being prepared for her husband. Uh, here's the wedding feast commencing. And, uh, and one of the things that sticks out to me too is that she's coming down out of heaven. And when we think about the church, we think of here on earth, we think, you know, uh, an exile. Uh, but here she's coming down out of heaven. And how many times do we hear in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 2, we're told by Paul that we have been raised with Christ into the heavenly places. Or Colossians chapter 3, that you know, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So the church, you know, we, we get caught up maybe in the bureaucracy, the brick and mortar at times as well. But we need to remember that her uh, origin is divine. It is from heaven. It's God, and God sees this right now, right? So this is a, an, a reality that's occurring right now by faith, and we will see it for ourselves on the last day. And so John is, you know, he's helping us peer through the veil, and he's telling these Christians, he's telling us, here's who you are. Uh, you are the heavenly bride prepared for Jesus Christ, clothed in him, made righteous and holy and new, and here you are coming down out of heaven. You're going to be brought to the, the Savior. Yeah, I mean, what a what a wonderful picture, and especially in contrast to what we what we've seen recently in Revelation seventeen with the great prostitute, this this anti church, yeah, who from a worldly perspective presents herself in a very attractive, seductive manner. Like, why would you want to hang out with the church hmm. who, from an earthly perspective, looks weak and vulnerable? and ugly, and she doesn't look very divine all the time. There's, right. a, there's a reason that we do say, I believe in the <laughs> holy Christian church. But that faith that we are, in fact, holy as Christians, that the church is, in fact, divine, is so necessary, particularly in view of the seductive nature of the anti-church, yeah. because the ways of this world look so wonderful. And, mm -hmm. and that is where Revelation, particularly these last several chapters, have been so helpful, because it does lift that veil so that we are able to see these things from God's perspective and, and recognize where the danger actually lies, rather than seeing it from man's perspective and, and being sucked into that danger. This is a protection against that kind of temptation. It certainly is. And one of the things that sticks out to me, too, with Ephesians 5, right? Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? Adoring her, the washing, right? A baptism to prepare uh, people for himself. Uh, holy, without spot or blemish, right? And Paul, right, as he kind of dovetails, he's, he's talking about marriage and also he's talking about Jesus and the church. Right. And, and we see that here. You know, John, would, John was like, yep, Paul nailed that one. Um, it's exact image. 
That's right. That's right. What a what a glorious thing. And again, the the great joy that's going to be even more evident as these chapters progress, but you already start to see that. You mentioned Revelation 19, and you have that hallelujah chorus yeah. when the when the marriage happens. And so imagine that happening now here. And again, with all the enemies gone, there's absolutely yeah. nothing that can derail this wedding. No one's going to stand up when you know, no one's going to say, speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen to, yep. to stop this wedding from taking place. And from the, the full joy, I mean, this is, this is when the bridegroom comes and, and the, everybody's rejoicing. That's, that's the picture that we're, we're getting here. Amen. So we've got in verse 2, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Then John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is hmm. with man. Now John hears. Talk to us about this news that he hears. You know, I, what's always a wonderful thing in, in the book of the, well, in John's writings, but also particularly here in Revelation, that what John hears interprets what he sees. And so far, right, he was told about the 144,000, and he turns and he sees it. Um, what's kind of interesting here, right, is that he saw, and then he hears. Mm. Um, and this, this hearing is kind of helping him, okay, here's what I'm, I should understand this. And behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The church, you know, Christ dwells with us, in us. The Holy Spirit, we just celebrate on Pentecost here, right, is how it, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and makes us into the body, the temple. Um, a living temple. Uh, so offer living sacrifices, as Paul would say in Romans 12. And here, right, we get the, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Uh, the dwelling place. This is what John used in John chapter 1, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's that, that tent word, the tabernacled word, the, the skene in the Greek there. Um, and that's just, you know, it, for, in that moment right there, when we hear that verse, we're thinking the incarnation of Jesus. We're thinking of the sending of the Spirit on Pentecost. And still in the life of the church, right? The Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come, continue, um, right? And he will dwell with them. And then the, the promise there that kind of gets into that, right, of Exodus, um, that finally this, this long overweighted and long anticipated and a now realized thing is happening, that God is now with his people. Um, so this is the, the church you know, dwelling here on a rejuvenated creation, and God is going to dwell in the midst of us as, as our God, and we will be his people. Um, and so this, the idea of tabernacle brings the idea of the worship. Um, it brings, you know, this is why for me, my congregation, we have a Thursday night service and we have a, a Sunday morning. And uh, when we gather it during those times, right, we are, God is, coming down to be with his people, and we can sing these hallelujahs. Uh, we can receive the gifts of God. We are having the, the hors d'oeuvres of the, um, the marriage feast, if you will. Um, and so what a great blessing that the church has this now. We enact it by faith. Um, we receive it. We receive these as, a, as the bride right now. And we're looking forward, because we're looking at this text and saying, this is what's going to be, and therefore it's who we are now. Um, there's great joy in there. And, you know, talk about this, how we should see Revelation. Um, this is the goal, and this is yeah. the telos, and right. uh, this is where we're headed. That's right. What, what a wonderful message we're hearing here in this chapter. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Belt this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. 
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 27th. We're studying Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, with Pastor Andrew Belt. He serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, prior to the break, we were talking about the words from the loud voice on the throne, the dwelling place of God is with man, and you talked about the connection to the Old Testament, particularly the language of, of Exodus and the connection to the tabernacle. And you know, when you look at those last several chapters of Exodus where the Lord is describing what the tabernacle is to be like, the whole point of it is so that he would dwell with his people. They had separated themselves by their sin, but now he's going to come and dwell with them, and he dwells with them in the context of their worship life. And I think that really does add something to our worship life today, to think about that this is the place where God wants to dwell with me. He wants to be my God, so that I would be his people. We're going to talk more about that language coming up a little bit. But I, I really think these words do add to what we, like, why we value worship so much. This is where we dwell with God, and that's the point. Yeah. And not even just Exodus, but even Genesis, that the Lord dwelt with his people in Eden. This is, like, we're getting back to where God wants us to be. This is the culmination of all things. It's such a, a wonderful, I mean, it seems like something so simple, and yet there is such great joy and wonderful news here in these these simple words from verse 3. Yeah. Notice when you said that one thing that strikes with me, um, how God takes something that's completely evil and he brings it more intimately into himself, right? That never excuses the evil. I always think of the book of Genesis there. You know, the end of Genesis has the, the Joseph narratives, and the brothers do a great evil. And it ends up being for their deliverance and salvation. And Joseph notes that to them at the very end. Um, here at the very end of the story of the scriptures, right, we get well, how God, this great evil that has happened, this divorce, you could say, from the beginning of the Bible, um, now God kind of not just undoes, but he does something greater with, yeah. something better. Um, and, and for that, what a marvelous, wondrous gift here that we have now been tied more intimately into the life of God because the Son of God has taken on our flesh and has exalted it into the, you know, into his divinity. And uh, that's a powerful image. And if we really, you know, we're not doing it justice just with me saying this right now. If we stopped and pondered that, that, that should, you know, blow our socks off. It's just, yes. whoa. Um, it's hum- it's uh, humbling that God would do this for us. Yeah, well, and I think the fact that you do get this first, as the new heaven and new, cre- and new earth are described, the first thing that we hear is that this is where God dwells with man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the point. For all of the beauty that's going to be seen in the details that are described in the coming chapters, the point of it is that this is where you dwell with God, yeah. and that's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes eternity eternity it is not all of the the perks. <laughs> right. But it, it's the it's the point. You're there with God. This is the point yeah. all along. And I think it's striking that before you hear any of those other details, that's what you hear first. 
the last uh, words in the, the book of Ezekiel, right? The, yeah. Ezekiel describes the You're temple, right. and then it ends. The last words are, the Lord is there. Yeah. Um, that's that exact same thought. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and we know Ezekiel had a, a big influence on this on this book. Oh, yeah. We see his fingerprints all over. I love that connection to the new temple. Here, here it is, right here. And so this is the place where we will dwell with God. He's going to be with us as our God. We will be his people there. That's more Exodus language. And in this place, what will God do? He's wiping away every tear. Death isn't there. No mourning is there. No crying, no pain. All these former things have passed away. Talk to us about the good news in that verse. You know, what's great about this is that that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. Uh, here, we have it all by negation, right? Because we really can't picture this. I, I, a world without death, uh, a world without mourning or crying, or you know, it's something we can't picture exactly because, well, God has it in store for us. Um, but here, we have to describe what it will not be like. Uh, so there will, it's a place where there is going to be no more death. It's a place where there is no more crying or pain or or weeping because all that stuff is done. It's over with. God, God has taken care of it uh, through his son, Jesus. And, uh, and so here, as we look at this, he's referencing, John is picking up the language of Isaiah chapter 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of my, I, if someone doesn't really know what to pick for an Old Testament funeral text, this is the text I like to go to um, to say, you should maybe this one, because uh, there's, the, the, God has a feast prepared for his people, right? And he brings them all up, and, and, uh, and I should look this up here, but I want to say it's for the nations, the goyim, right? The, mm-hmm. the, all the people, all the, the lang- tribes and all that. So he brings them up, and, uh, and while they're enjoying this rich feast and this food that's been prepared, what's God doing? He's eating up death. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here God has destroyed death and his people, and then this is referenced because uh, you know, there will be neither death, all the former things have passed away. Um, and so here, that, that image is picked up here in John in the book of Revelation uh, to describe th- this moment, this waiting for God, because that's where Isaiah goes. Where we've waited for God, and he's, he saved us. He is our God. Um, and, and that's being used here, too, to describe the, the glory and the beauty and the peace the, that we have um, here, and it's coming for us, too, on the last day. Yeah, that, that is a, a marvelous Old Testament funeral text, as you said, from Isaiah 25, and John is is referencing that here. And it is, it's the vindication of what Isaiah prophesied. It will be said on that day, that day is here in Revelation 21. God did not disappoint, God did not fail, he kept his promise. And now all of these former things, these these things that, that were there in the creation, because of the effects of sin, all of that has passed away. It's been transformed, and and mortality has put on immortality, and mm. that is the the beautiful reality that is ours again, because this is where God dwells with man. What is it that wipes away tears? It is the presence of God. Why is death gone? Because God is there. Why isn't there crying? Because God is there. That is that is what makes this such a wonderful reality. So, again, the first four verses, beautiful comfort, more comfort in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we have more more hmm. idea of making things new. Yeah. Uh, 
talk to us about that again. You know, uh, we've had this now twice just in our brief section today, uh, but we have the, the reference to the throne. And when you hear of the throne, especially in the book of Revelation, you have to stop and consider the one on the throne. What's he saying? Who he is? What's he doing? Um, and here, uh, when we have this, behold, I am making all things new. Um, this is kind of, we kind of have this context in our American culture here with the, when the king makes a statement, right? It's right. done, right? He, it's sealed. It's going to happen. Um, this is just another reminder of Genesis chapter one, when the king at the beginning of all things said, let there be light and boom, there is. So when this is being said here, this is just, isn't just him saying, man, I want all things to be new. It's him saying, let there be new, right? And it's boom, it's happening again. Uh, so his word is declaring it, ushering it in, making it so. Um, it's him making the official proclamation and here's, here's how it's going to be. Um, and so we hear an echo of that back in Isaiah chapter 43 too, right? The behold, I am making new things in Isaiah 43. And here John is picking up his, his Isaiah brain is really going here. Uh, and he's just, he's referenced, he's noticing all these prophecies from Isaiah as he was looking forward. Now, John, he's also seen a greater picture of it here. Um, and behold, all things are being made new, right? And not, not new things, but all things are being made new. Um, there's that image of that for, being forged, right? Uh, into something better, stronger. Um, yeah, yeah, God's showing his mercy to his people. Now, as you said, there is that moment in, I think it's Revelation chapter 10, where John wants to write something down, hmm. and he's told, don't write this down right now. <laughs> Seal this one up. But here, he is told to write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Is this is this still God speaking from his throne, and, and why is this so important that it needs to be written down? Yeah, it's... Uh... So there's some thought here, and you, when you look at this, you're like, okay, who's the one talking this now? Because there's the angel that's been kind of leading John on through this, kind of being his tour guide, as it were, um, and showing him all this. And some some are thinking John, as he's kind of maybe caught up in this, and he's like, hey, 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 you know, elbows him, and hey, make sure you write this down. Um, but it kind of brings back way back in Revelation chapter 1, you had Jesus when he first met John, um, him saying to him, hey, write all this stuff, and write everything that you see and hear down. Because, um, you know, it's, it's what's soon to take place. And, and here, I think it's a good recall back that the one who's on the throne, the Lamb, um, is also saying, John, right, this is sure and certain, right? The certainty is coming from God, um, that you can trust what you have just heard uh, being said here, that I am making all things new. Um, yeah, so I, I, it, we should tend to hear God, Christ, speaking here to John to write this down, yeah. uh, not just his guide. Yeah, I th- I think so too. I think that I think that makes good sense. And the way that ESV does translate that as also he said, I think yeah. lends lends the English reader toward that. And I think that that's a faithful way of of looking at it. Whenever you hear this command, especially given to John to write this down, I I go to John chapter 20 where he gives the the purpose of that gospel. Mm. These things are written. Not everything yeah. was written, he says, that could have been, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And and just making that connection, I think, is a reminder that the book of Revelation is for that same purpose. These words are written, they are trustworthy and true, and they are for the sake of having faith in Christ, and so having this eternal life that's being described. Yeah. You know, so many often in Jesus, especially in John's gospel, truly, truly, I say to you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably another way of 
putting it here in John's case, you know, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. This is so, this is how it is. You know, you can bet your bottom dollar on it. So you might as well write it down and rock here. Um, is it's, it's certain. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So then the voice continues in verse six. He says to John, it is done. Now we've heard it is done once in Revelation before. It was a part of the the seventh censer being poured out in chapter 16. We made note of it then, and I think it's it's worth a, a comment here as well. It is done sounds awfully, awfully close to something else that Jesus it said does. very famously. It echoes, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 What I what I what I sticks out here with this, especially when you get to the, the seventh sensor, right? John, as usual, he's always retelling the story, right? And as he as he tells it again with all the different sevens here in Revelation, he kind of reframes the narrative to kind of pick out more details and show more things. And and here, right, that what we saw there earlier in the Revelation when he says it is done, here it's like this is being fleshed out again. Uh, and here's what we can expound upon this point now because John wants to kind of bring out some details that he wants us to, as the readers to take comfort in from Christ. Uh, so the hearing that it is done, right, as you said, this is Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Um, it's not the exact same wording that's there in the Greek, but right, it, you, it's there. Uh, it, yeah. I think we'd be mistaken not to see it. Yeah. And, uh, and then it goes into the, the who he is, right? So it's done. And why? Well, because here's who I am, right? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. And, and those titles, I think, are kind of interesting too, right? The, um, the, the first, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, right? The, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Nothing escapes God. No, no matter, as you said earlier, right? No wave is going to come in and grab it that God did not see. Um, everything is under his control. Uh, nothing will be left out. Every little matter, every little iota, Every little dot, right, line, God has it under his grasp. Um, and so this kind of hearing God describe himself in that way, right? Nothing is beyond his purview. And then uh, the beginning and the end, right? The, the, uh, the, in the beginning was the word. Um, earlier on in Revelation, Jesus had said that he, he describes himself as the beginning. Um, and I think maybe we should, maybe when we read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, or when we say, um, you know, John 1, in the beginning was the word, maybe we should hear that as another uh, title for our Lord Jesus Christ. So Genesis chapter 1, the first word out is, in Christ, um, he made all things, all right? Yeah. Just kind of hearing that, Jesus is using that language of creation to describe himself as who he is, the creator. Uh, and then the end, right, he's the telos, that where everything is driving towards, every, from him and through him and to him, all things. Um, so he is wrapped up into this as well. And, and what, that's, these titles kind of you know, capture our imagination. Yeah. And uh, that's, the, that's the beauty of them. That's too. right. That's right. So this one who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, makes a promise to the thirsty. The thirsty mm -hmm. one is going to receive from the spring of water of life without payment. What's the promise made there at the end of verse 6? Yeah. You know, Jesus had said back in John chapter 7, if you're familiar with John's gospel, a lot of these ideas in Revelation are going to feed off each other, yeah. rightly so. And John, in the gospel of John chapter 7, Jesus, he was there in Jerusalem at the, the feast, and it's, we're told it's the great day, and he's standing up, and you know, this festival it would have been the day that water would have streamed down from the temple. And uh, Jesus gets up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And I will give him the, the water of life, right? And then where John says, this is up about the Holy Spirit. 
Um, this is the gift. Or, or John chapter 4, Jesus by the, the well with the woman of Samaria who comes out. And, you know, if you would have asked, I would have given you living water and you would never have thirst again. And, oh, how can I get this? Right? And, and here is the same idea. It's the Holy Spirit coming to quench that ever-driving thirst that's in us for being righteous, uh, standing before God, um, you know, relating to Him. And this is just another idea of being clothed with Christ. Um, yeah, so the, and it's a gift that's free, right? So it's not yeah. like you have to have a certain amount of money. Uh, this is access. It's a gift that Christ has purchased for His people. Uh, so it's 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 a an invite. Come on, come on, come and see. Maybe as John would say, yeah, uh, come and have some. I, I have at it, and, and never feel like you have to stop. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, there's there's a there's an Isaiah reference there too. Isaiah Isaiah fifty five, the first verse. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to right. the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. So, so here is that invitation, that call from the Lord yet again to receive from him this gift of the water of life. Then in verse 7, another promise, this one made to the one who conquers. He'll have this heritage. This inheritance belongs to the one who conquers, and God promises to be God to him, and he will be the son. Uh, talk to us about the promise made to the one who conquers. We're, we're getting back toward the beginning of Revelation here with this conquering language. Yeah. You know, Jesus in the seven letters to the churches had said this to the one who conquers, um, you know, I will give him this heritage. And he, this exact same line is given this same promise, this uh, gift, as it were. Uh, and it echoes, it's been already said earlier in this section, too, that we've talked about today, too, this echoing of the language from Exodus, where God makes this promise, this, you know, his, makes his covenant people and brings them in. Now, this is just for, that was just foreshadowing what's happening here of this gift being given even more freely, um, being tied because Christ is our God and he has taken on our humanity and now we're being grafted into his image too. And, uh, and so it's no longer I who live, but you know, Christ who lives in me. Uh, what conquers, you know, John in his epistle had said, that what conquers is our faith. Uh, this, this trust, this confession of Jesus Christ who is the Son of God and our Savior. Uh, that that is what will triumph over the world. We, we talked earlier how the, the church looks poor, right? The world has this glory, this power, this standing. And what the church is here to say is, well, we, we, here's our Christ, our God, who was crucified for us and raised. And the world kind of sits there and kind of scratches its head like, no, that's not really anything, All right? But we have this as a great treasure for we who are in Christ know that well, here's the glory that's going to be revealed in us um, because of who he is. Uh, and, and, and so that's, that's the kind of the promise, the inheritance that's being given to us. It's this forward-looking, it's ours now because we are the children, uh, but it's almost the, the waiting of coming of age, as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, be, to be named the son, uh, son of God here, I think, is, is so important because that means the inheritance isn't going to be taken away. You're not a slave. Yeah. As Paul says in Galatians 4, but you are a son, and that means you're an heir, and this inheritance is not going to be taken away from you because you've been set free by the Son, the Son of God by nature, and if he set you free, you'll be free indeed. That's right. So this is, this is your inheritance in Christ. It is for those who are in Christ. It is not received, however, by those who are not in Christ. And that is where our text ends today in verse 8, as those who do not receive the inheritance. John, John says, as for... As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Talk to us about this final Hmm. verse of our text for today. Right. So if on one hand, if the one who conquers, and that's the faith and the confession of Jesus Christ as the Savior, then the one who does not do, does not do that is the one who is faithless, uh, the one who is outside of Christ, who does not confess Christ as the Savior of the world and as the Lord God. Uh, and, and so that would be, and I think that's kind of, you can see that there in that first word, the cowardly, uh, because this seems to be maybe even John referencing people who maybe had this, but then fell away. Mm and backed away from this, um, maybe under fire, under persecution, under trial, they said, not for me. I, nope, I won't be a part of this. Uh, and the faithless here, we even have that explicitly stated, the faithless, the detestable, and it gets into all that because if you're not in Christ, if you don't have this faith in him, right, John chapter 3, right, uh, the one who does not believe in him is condemned already. Right. So if we're not in Christ, then outside of Christ. That's, this is what happens. This is who we are outside of Christ. Um, not receiving this identity from him, not being clothed with him, means that we're just standing on our own merit, which is we can't. Or I can't stand before God on my own. Uh, I need the blood of Christ to cover me. And if, if I don't confess, trust, hold to that, then I, I do have nothing. Uh, and then I, all I am is, well, detestable and immoral, the sorcerers, idolatry, right? it gets into all that, the sexually immoral, the whose portion is in the lake of fire. Um, because that's where everything else that was unclean went. And in Christ will have nothing evil that will set up a sequel for the new creation. Yeah. Um, he is here to purge it so that way it will always be kept holy and pure and, and good and blessed. Um, and he will not let that ever be threatened. Um, so if we do not receive this gift, if we do not hear the invitation of come, come and see, receive freely this, and we say, no thanks, I'm good on my own, we're not, right? And, and that'll be what will happen as a result of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is it, this portion that they receive is the one that they have actually chosen for yeah. themselves. It's not the portion that God desired for them. We know from Matthew 25 that this lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for these people. Yep. But but by refusing the free invitation of God's grace, they have chosen this portion. And, and as you said, this is the Lord Jesus protecting his church for all eternity from all such evil that would attack. Yeah. And so while it is now still the day, and it is not too late, this is the call that the church sounds, is, is so that those who who have been cowardly or faithless would turn and receive the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And so join us in eternity, because that is where the Lord desires them to be, to dwell with him forever. And so as, as yeah. much as it is difficult for us to hear this in this context, it is necessary for us to hear this as the call to repentance that it is, uh, and also the Lord delivering the victory that he has promised over all sin and over all evil. have about three minutes here on the morning, Pastor Belt. Help us to, to wrap things up. It is a marvelous text that we have. Uh, give us, there, there is warning here, but give us, right. so remind us of the warning of this text, and especially of the comfort and encouragement that's found in this part of Revelation 21. The warning is always right that we could let this slip through our fingers. The, the victory is, if it is, it's our fault, right? Because Christ has won this. This is certain and sure. And so we always need to, as Paul would say, examine our hearts, right? To test ourselves to see if we are still in the faith, right? And as Christians who love Jesus, right, let's do it. Let, let's have at it. I want Christ to continue to work on my heart. I want him to purge from me these sins, and he has given me today for this, right? Because this is where 
this is the goal and this is the finish line I want to cross. Here's the, the discipline I and given my life. Here's what I want to receive now to practice for this. Uh, so we, we see worship as a, a practice, right? A rehearsal, a dress rehearsal. Um, and we should continue to edify ourselves with that. And so there is that, you know, that law. Uh, the gospel here is that, that wonderful invitation. Christ will never refuse as long as it is today, right? Come, it's open, receive. It doesn't cost you a single thing. So don't think you have to try to go back home or, or earn enough or, or feel good about this or that. Christ has paid for it. It is ours by faith. That's how we conquer, by trusting that the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us will be enough to cover us and welcome us into that marriage feast where we're adorned with his beautiful garments, presented to the Son as God lives on a rejuvenated earth, a creation that he loves, that he will remake, and that he will keep blessed forever. Um, and so we have great joy in this text too. Uh, as we, you know, the whole leading up to that final verse, we see that. And so we have this, that reminder of here's the state and here's the warfare that the church does have in her life today. And to keep our eyes focused then on Christ and, and not to be distracted one way or the other because that, that's where we will become the cowardly, right? Is when we get diverted our gaze, but keeping them on Christ um, and his great love for us and knowing that he will not turn us away or be ashamed of us when we come to him. He will always welcome. Uh, and that's the joy that we see in spades in this text. Pastor Andrew Belt is pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. He has been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Pastor Belt, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Revelation 21, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.